Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. My name is Rabbi Abby Salson, and today we are learning Daf Samechbet in Masachet Eruvin, page 62. On today's Daf, we continue the discussion from yesterday about living with non-Jewish neighbors. The rabbis establish that a courtyard where only non-Jews live can be included in an Eruv, since the residences of non-Jews don't count as distinct halachic entities. Actually, the wording on this is a little indelicate, but that's what it means. Literally, The courtyard of an idol worshiper is like the home of a beast, or in other words, like a stable. Yep, that's the way it's said. But what it means is that the courtyard of idol worshippers cannot be counted as a legitimate halachic entity. So you don't need special permission from idol worshippers or from non-Jews if the courtyard is entirely made of idolaters or non-Jews. So now the question at hand is whether one Jew living among all other non-Jews is permitted to make an eruv between his residence and the courtyard. According to Rabbi Meir, a Tana living around the time of the editing of the Mishnah one Jew in a courtyard of all non-Jews cannot make a binding Eruv. Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, another Tana from the same era, argues that since the residences of non-Jews are not halachically distinguished as separate homes, there is no problem with one Jew making an Eruv there. The only problem happens when at least two Jews live in the courtyard, and then they need to get the special permission that we spoke about yesterday. Well, it turns out the decision goes to Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov. Between these two Tanaim, Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, we have the decision to Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov. Amar Rabbi Yehuda, Amar Shmuel, Halacha ke Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov. Rabbi Yehuda said in the name of Shmuel, the Halacha is like Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov. Virav Huna Amar, but Rav Huna, a later rabbi, said, Minhag ki Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov. No, says Rav Huna, the halacha is not like him. The minhag, the custom, is like Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov. And then a later rabbi, still Rabbi Yochanan, says, no, it's not quite the halacha, and it's not even quite the minhag, but rather nahagu ha'am, the nation, the people, are accustomed to doing things like Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov. Evidently, everyone agrees with Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov. So then what is the difference between these three opinions? Why do they articulate them differently? What's the difference between saying the halacha is according to him or the custom is according to him? According to Rashi, the difference is where and when Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov's opinion would be taught. Halacha was something that would be taught in public gatherings of study, which would happen frequently. Didarshinan la bepirka de rabin. 
Rashi said, we teach these ideas, this halacha, in the um, regular public teaching. Whereas something that was called minhag was something that would not be taught publicly. It could be taught privately. If someone asked for the law privately, one could answer. And as far as the last term, nahagu ha'am, that people are accustomed to doing this, to following Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, this was the idea that you would not even tell someone if he asked. So there was a primacy to the idea of halacha, which could be taught publicly. Minhag, once again, could be said if someone asked. And nahaguha'am would not even be told, no matter what. This gets at a question which the Talmud wants to ask. What exactly are you permitted to teach publicly in front of your own teacher? The assumption is that these three teachers who taught halakha, minhag, and nahagu ha'am, each one was doing so in order not to embarrass the generation before him. Aha! Now this is interesting, and the Gemara takes the opportunity for an aside, as it were. What exactly is going on here? The Gemara follows this up with a question. Mahut aruye bimkom rabo, are you allowed to teach halacha in front of your teacher. Evidently, Rabbi Yochanan didn't want to teach anything in front of his teacher, not even to say that this is the minhag. But the Gemara asks here, now wait, Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov was known for having incredibly simple rulings. Mishnat Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov kav v'naki. His teachings were small in number and pure, clean, Everyone accepts them. So why were these rabbis concerned about teaching his halakha? One would only be worried about teaching something publicly, the Gemara seems to think, in front of one's teacher, if it were a serious question based, as Rashi explains, on savara, on logic. So for example, if I were with a teacher, let's say my father, Rabbi Henry Sasslin, and someone asked me a serious question that required thought or logic, I would of course defer to my father. But what about if someone asked just a simple question? Would it always be the case that I should defer to my father in order to honor him? What if someone asked me, is a cheeseburger kosher? Would I really be insulting my teacher if I answered that one? Maybe I'd be doing him a favor. That is the question of the Gemara. If something is so obvious, like the teachings of Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, can't you teach that in front of your teacher? According to the discussion that follows, the answer is no. Even a minor obvious point is an insult to a teacher if it is done in his vicinity. We learn this by precedent. Rav Yosef says he asked Rav Chizda once a simple elementary question during the life of his teacher, Rav Huna. Velo ore. Rav Chizda would not answer. But Rav Chizda, in fact, did teach even halacha in Kafri, a city far from his own teacher's home in Pombadita, where Rav Huna lived, even while Rav Huna was alive. He was willing to teach while Rav Huna was alive, but in a different place, not right in front of him. And his student, we are told, Rav Hamnuna, taught while he was alive, 
but only in a city where Rav Huna did not reside. So ultimately, the answer is taught that you don't teach anything, even the simplest idea, in front of your own teacher. The Gemara is interested, of course, in the legalities of building an A-roof among non-Jews, but it is so easily distracted with the values that arise in its discussion. Here we see that the subtext of honoring one's teacher comes right in the middle of the duff. Any opportunity to teach a moral and ethical value, the Gemara jumps. It reminds me of the great teachers in my own schooling. Sure, the content was always important, but the minute some sort of ethical issue would arise, the teachers who I loved the most would stop everything and take a moment to deal with those ethical issues, to teach a value. We had one teacher who we knew would do this, and we would ask him ethical questions just to postpone the tests. So too with the Talmud. Kvod Harav, honoring one's teacher, is such an important value. The Gemara says, let's stop for a moment and discuss. When we're done, we'll move along with the Eruv. So it's good to stop for a moment. Thank you for stopping with me and learning with me this week. Good luck as you continue to learn Masechet Eruvim. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.